Bible, if you would join me in Deuteronomy chapter number 6 as we finish a series we have done throughout this month on the family, Deuteronomy chapter number 6. We're going to read verse 1 down to verse number 12 once again, really wanting to ingrain these truths in our hearts. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse number 1. This, again, is a section of Scripture that is most important to the Jewish people. In fact, the Jews did not capitalize typically anything, and so in the Old Testament it's not capitalized. The only place you find capitalization is in Deuteronomy 6, and this, what they call the Shema, or here is the English word from the Hebrew, Shema. And so Deuteronomy 6 verse 1 says, Now these are the commandments, the statutes, and the judgments which the Lord your God commanded to teach you, that ye might do them in the land whither you go to possess, that thou mightest fear the Lord thy God, to keep all his statutes and his commandments, which I command thee, thou and thy sons and thy sons' sons. And you see the generational reality there, not only to you but your son and then your grandson, all the days of thy life, and that thy days may be prolonged. Verse 3, he says, Hear therefore, O Israel, and observe to do it, that it may be well with thee, and that ye may increase mightily, as the Lord God of thy fathers hath promised thee, in the land that floweth with milk and honey. Let's read verse number 4 through 6 together. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord, and thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thine heart, and with all thy soul, and with all thy might. And these words which I command thee this day shall be in thine heart. And notice what he says to do here in verse 7. And thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children, and shalt talk of them when thou sittest in thine house, and when thou walkest by the way, and when thou liest down, and when thou risest up. And thou shalt bind them for a sign upon thine hand, and upon be as frontlets between thine eyes, and thou shalt write them upon the posts, of thine house and on thy gates. And it shall be when the Lord thy God shall have brought thee into the land which he sware unto thy fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, to give thee great and goodly cities which thou buildest not, and houses full of good things which thou fillest not, and wells dig which thou diggest not, vineyards and olive trees which thou plantest not. When thou shalt have eaten and be full, then beware, lest thou forget the Lord which brought thee forth out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage. Again, Father, we are so thankful for your word today. May it increase in our hearts. Let the soil be good to receive the word of the living God, and may we have ears to hear. May we be found as those that are wise, that not only do we hear intensely, but we obey faithfully what we hear. I pray for the families today. Give us a vision for our family that is aligned with scripture. May we set our path on that which is most blessed for our family, that we might glorify you, and may you lead us today, Father. May you grip the hearts of parents, bring revival to homes, and Lord, help us not to become casual and to just relax in this most vital position as parents, and I pray that you would allow us to pass the faith on to a generation in desperate need of truth. We ask it in Jesus' name, and God's people said, amen. You may be seated today. It's an old Chinese proverb that says, one generation plants the seeds of a tree and the other get the shade of it. And there was a generation in America that planted some good trees. I just fear that when we ran into the 60s and 70s, some bad seeds were planted. 
And as a result, the shade has been removed, and we are living in some desperate times in our country. Today we're going to be looking at how can parents effectively pass their faith on to the next generation, and why is this important? In 2006, when Josh McDowell wrote his book, The Last Christian Generation, he's spoken over 700 college universities around the world to millions of people. There was a startling discovery that he found in that book. He teamed up with Varna Research, and they discovered some tragic results from kids that were actually growing up inside of Christian homes and how they were believing media outlets over the Bible, though they claimed Christianity, what they were was much different than what Christianity was. In their studies, they found among thousands and thousands of people they surveyed, 63% of professing young people that grew up in Christian homes, kids that said they're saved and Christians, 63% said they did not believe Jesus is the son of the one true God. 58% believed all faiths were equally valid. 51% did not believe Jesus rose from the dead. 65% did not believe Satan was real. And 68% did not believe the Holy Spirit was real. Now, if that was true 17 years ago, where do you think kids are today? The problem that McDowell found was that for youth today, they were basing truth on themselves rather than the Word of God. They were believing truth to be relative to the individual and what was right and wrong was no longer objective, but now subjective. It was fluid based upon each individual's beliefs or preferences. So instead of basing truth on the objective word of God, it got replaced with the subjective view of an individual's opinion. Now, this happened because kids were being saturated by media outlets such as never before. Uh, kids were being inundated in their life by all the different means that the internet and media and phones and all of that began to really inject itself into kids' lives. The second part of that were parents were not passing their faith on to their children. They looked to the church or a Christian school to be the teacher, and I can tell you neither one of those will ever nor can ever replace the parents. You could bring your kid to church every week, never missing a service, put them in a Christian school, and they can become an atheist, a complete pagan. Just know that, because that's what was happening. Like 75% of kids growing up in Christian homes, when they left home and to the universities, secular universities, like 75%, the statistics have shown, uh, were leaving the faith. So just know that's coming. And it's just getting compoundingly worse. Dad and mom, have you ever sat down and asked your children this question? What do you base truth upon? Do you believe the Bible? You ever ask your child that? Why would you believe the Bible? Have you ever asked your child who they believe Jesus is? You might be shocked to find out some of their answers. But wouldn't you rather find out their answers now before they leave the home? And, and please don't ever get mad at them. If my child came home and said, Dad, I don't know why, we, why would we believe in Jesus, I would look at them and say, that's a great question. Let's sit down and talk about that. You could go up to any of my children and ask them through the years when they've asked questions like that, how did your dad respond? Go ask them. Ask all four of them. 
Uh, never get upset. Let's sit down because the evidence is there. <laughs> Let's, go through the, Let's go through and, and talk about these things. And uh, your kids should never be, because I can tell you, anger is not a good teacher. Amen. That's a stupid teacher. That's a good biblical word for it. It's moros in the, English, in the, in the Greek. It means moronic. It's, it's a foolish way to teach. It doesn't work. And so you can't, you can't bully your kids into believing things. You need to let them own their faith, right? So... Parents, what are you currently doing to ensure that your grandchildren will know the Lord Jesus Christ? What are the most important things you are imparting into their life? What is the greatest thing that you would want to pass on when you pass on? It's an old story was told about a man who asked three stonemasons what they were building. The first man said he was laying bricks. The second man said he was building a wall. And the third man said, I'm building a great cathedral. You know, I, I would ask you today, uh, when you look at your children, are you laying bricks, building a wall, or are you having a long-term vision of building a great cathedral in your child? This past Friday, we had a funeral for a dear, godly woman in our church, Kim Thatcher. She lived a wonderful and consistent life for her Lord. She left an incredible legacy of one who loved the Lord Jesus Christ, served him faithfully, ministering to him, loved her husband for the last 27 years. Her beloved daughter, she left a great legacy that if her daughter just is like her mom, she would have a wonderful influence on this world. And at 51 years old, Kim went home to be with the Lord. She's now been in heaven for a week, and we celebrate that reality. But friend, what kind of legacy are you going to leave? You know, our lives can be shut, cut short very quickly. What kind of impact are you making? I fear so often we... We become so short-sighted, don't we? We live in this, this, this world that just lives day to day and just gets busy in the rush. And we get to another year's end. 2023 is just almost over. One month left until we're into 2024. I would encourage you to think about what your long-term vision is and plans are. I challenge you to sit down today and this week and consider what are the biggest goals of your life? Ask yourself this question, mom and dad. What are the greatest things that you want to accomplish in life? When you're 70 years old and you look back on your life, what would you consider wins to be? What you, would you consider those are the wins in my life? What are the top three to five goals? Don't make any more than that. Just maybe five goals in your life. Dad, what is the vision for your family? Where do you want to go? What do you want your family to do? And, and how will you get them to that destination? Mom, what is the vision for your family? What are you doing to get them there? Listen, families don't turn out right by accident. They turn out right by intentional parenting. Dad and mom, if we're not setting a vision for our family and we don't know the destination, how will they ever arrive there? Let me give you what my personal top five goals in life are. Uh, these are what I would consider to be wins, that when I'm 70 years old, this is what I want to look back and see. If God could, by grace, bring me to this, then I would have been successful in life. My, my biggest one is I want to faithfully love and be committed to Jesus Christ all through my life, to never abdicate, to never fall away, to never stop serving, to never quit living for him, to never fall into some sin that would disqualify me. This is the biggest win in my life, and by doing that, all the other goals will become 
accomplished. Secondly, I want to be a faithful husband to my wife until the day the Lord takes one of us home to keep our vows to each other, to love her as Christ loved the church, to protect, care for her, provide for her, set an example in our marriage that I would want my children to mimic, that I would want my children to have a marriage just like ours, to thoroughly enjoy life with her. This is a huge win for me. I want to love, thirdly, my children and raise them to know Christ, to love Him with all their heart, to love, care, protect, and provide for them, to see them marry godly, hardworking men who will raise their families to know Christ, to set such an example for them of how I would want them to raise their children, that they would raise their kids as I raise them. This, this is a huge win for me to see that. Fourthly, I want to be a faithful pastor who loves God's people and faithfully preach until the day that I can no longer preach to never slow down in passion or zeal or faithfulness and joy in preaching. I want to grow consistently to be a more effective minister of the gospel all of my life. That is a huge win for me. I never want to retire. I I never look ahead and say, 62, boy, that'd be nice to hang it up. You might want to hang me up, but I would like to keep going on. Number five, I want to see the Great Commission accomplished in my personal life, in my family, and in this church to make disciples who make disciples, to also train others for the ministry who can start new churches both locally and abroad to create ministry material that can help advance God's kingdom. That is a huge win for me. These are the things that my life is centered on. This is, this is what I'm focused on. I'm not focused on being popular. I don't want to be rich. I don't want to be famous. I, I want this to happen. And if I can do this, then I will find success in my life. I would ask you, Dad and Mom, what are the wins in your life? What would your children and spouse say the goals of your life are? Ask yourself, what am I seeking to accomplish and what am I doing now to get to that destination? People who reach goals in life do not do it by accident. They do it by intentional purpose. This may sound a bit morbid, but have you ever considered what you would want your obituary to say about you? If you went home and wrote down all that you would want your life to have accomplished and what you would want your spouse, your children, your grandchildren, your family, and your friends to say about you, what would you write You know, every person I do a funeral for, I meet with the family. We spend an hour at least talking about who that person was. What kind of impact did they make? I ask the question, what defined them? What was most important to them? What are words that define who they are? And I can tell you, your family tells me who you are. There's a good chance I will do your funeral. And you say, Ben, that sounds kind of morbid. No, that that looks at the end of the race and says, that's the earthly portion because we have eternity set before us. How would your family define you? And how would you want them to define you? It was in the 19th century, Alfred Nobel, who was a Swedish chemist, invented the dynamite. When his brother Ludwig died in France, a newspaper mistakenly printed an obituary about Alfred instead of Ludwig. As a result, Alfred had the unusual experience of reading his own obituary. To his dismay, the focal point of the piece was the destruction brought about through the invention of the dynamite. Devastated to think he would be remembered that way, Alfred gathered friends and loved ones around him and asked the question, what's the opposite of destruction? Almost unanimously, everybody said, peace. 
As a result, Alfred Nobel redesigned his life and set aside the bulk of his estate to establish what we know today as the Nobel Peace Prize. And that is how he is remembered, not for destruction, but for peace. What in your life do you need to restructure and start focusing on and not just drifting day to day, running to work, running to the store, running to the practice, running back home, doing the dishes, going to bed, getting up, hitting repeat, repeat, repeat. In the midst of all of that, have you stopped and said, what in life am I really wanting to accomplish? You think that's important to do? Because we can get real busy and not get a lot done. And we need to slow down, step back and say, what on earth in my life are the most important things that I could ever accomplish? So that when I get there, I can look back and say, praise God, I did that. This morning, I prayed that parents would set a vision for their life, for their children, for their homes, that you would not live a distracted life, but an intentional life to set a course that would most glorify God and most benefit your family. The roadmap for the goals of life should be defined by God's word because only in scripture is ultimate reality revealed to us. So how can parents today effectively pass their faith on? How can we effectively leave a legacy? How can we build a generation in a world that's falling apart? And we find that answer in Deuteronomy chapter number six. Again, this is this is the book that Jesus quoted uh, three times when being tempted by Satan in the New Testament. This is mal- uh, quoted so often in the New Testament, and this is the most important portion of Scripture to the Jews in the Old Testament, if you would. This is their John 3.16. This is, this is what they recite faithfully multiple times a day to a Jew, faithful Orthodox Jew. They will today quote this three times, Deuteronomy chapter number 6. Verses 4 down to verse number uh, 13 or so. So let's look at the first thought we have today. If you want to pass your faith on to the next generation, make an impact God would want you to make, the first thing is this. Parents must be what you want your children to become. Passing faith on to our children starts with the parents' faith. We must grow where we want them to go. And look at verse number 6 and 7. And these words which I command thee this day shall be in thine heart, and thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children. It's important to understand that Deuteronomy 6 is not written to the children of the nation. It's written to the parents of the nation. He's telling parents what they need to do in order to have a successful nation. The nation this is Moses at the end of his life. This is his farewell address to the nation, the book of Deuteronomy is. And God says, before you can diligently teach your children the right things, you must become the right thing. If God's truth is not in us, how could we ever expect it to be in them? I can only give my children what I have. The change in children starts with the change in the parents. And Two primary truths come to light in verse 4 and 5. In verse number 4, he tells us, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. And we see there the first truth is that you must place your faith in the one true God. It was to declare this Deuteronomy 6.4, as I said, is the John 3.16 of the Old Testament to the Jewish people. Uh, This is to declare God as the true God, Yahweh as God alone, that no God compares to him. 
And so to pass your faith on, you must be in the faith. You must know the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior. You must be saved. You must know Jesus Christ. And if you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ, after this morning service, you need to go straight over to Foundations where I'll be teaching at. Sitting down, I'll give you a booklet and we will walk through what it means to be a Christian. And if you have never grown in your faith, you need to walk straight over there, sit down in that class, and we will help you take the steps the Bible teaches in order to grow as a Christian. These are the most important things for you to know. If you don't know what the Bible says about how to get to heaven, you need to walk right after this class over to Foundations class, and you need to learn that. If you don't know how to tell your children how to be saved, you need to, after this service, walk over to that room, sit down so you can teach them the most most important thing they will ever know in life. These are, these are, this is our constitution. And if you don't know the foundational truths, you know, some parents would be afraid if the child said, why do we believe the Bible? Because they wouldn't have a clue how to answer that. Just because is not a good answer. <laughs> why do we believe there is only one true God? Just because is not a good answer. Why do we believe in Jesus and not in Allah or Muhammad or Buddha? Just because is not a good answer. And if you don't know those answers, then you need to find them out. That's why we have life group classes. And if you in your life have abdicated from coming to life group, then you better know the Bible because you will stand before God one day. You must have known so much that you don't need to learn anymore, right? And so that when your children and your, because I can tell you, they're going to be hit with all kinds of doubts every single day in this world. They will assault their faith. And if you don't know the faith, who do you think they're going to believe? And if they're like, well, mom and dad are just naive. They think you're naive anyway. They think you're an old fogey, right? But there's a point in their life where they, they if, if you can establish that truth in your heart and they see it's real in you and you can pass on the truth to them, I can tell you, they'll say, this is real in mom and dad's life and I saw how they lived and it was genuine and it was authentic because I can tell you what young people don't want today is fake things. They want authentic. That's why live TV became very popular in the last 20 years. They want to see it raw. They, they're so sick of the facade. Kids cannot, they, and they can read right through it. They cannot stand the fake stuff. They, they, they want people that are real. They, they, they're slower to trust these days. The reason for that, they get burnt. They've been hurt. It's hard to trust people. And I can tell you, it takes a lifetime to build trust and just a short amount of time to lose it. And so you must be authentic. You must be real. You must teach them truth. Secondly, you must love God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. That's what verse 5 says. So be in the faith. Secondly, you must love God with all of your heart. Verse 5 says, and thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy might. Where have we heard that verse before, right? That's Jesus in Matthew twenty-two thirty-six through 40. When the man came to him and said, Lord, what's the greatest commandment in the law, Master? And Jesus said, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy mind. Jesus is declaring the Shema. He is quoting Deuteronomy 6, the most important passage of the Old Testament. This is quoted ten times in the book of Deuteronomy. This is a huge deal. Jesus said it's the first and great commandment. So point one has to do with salvation. Point two has to do with your active love of God. 
To love God with all your love, all your heart, soul, mind, and strength is to love him with all of your heart, which is your inner man. Your soul is all of your being and all of your might is all of your energy and all that you can. So according to God, who is the author of the family? He tells parents the first priority is to place our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, to love him with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and nothing in your life exceeds these important priorities. So dad and mom, do you love God? Do you know him as your Lord and Savior, first of all, but then do you love him as your Lord and Savior? Now the evidence of that relationship will birth verse number six, and verse number six, it says this, and these words which I command thee this day shall be where? Yeah, he doesn't say in your head. He says in your heart. You got it right. In our heart. And, and why doesn't he say in our head? Because you can have information in your head that you don't listen to and obey. But when it's established in your heart, then it's in the control center. And the Bible refers to the heart 750 times, over 750 times in the Bible. And it is described as the control center of a person. You know, in America, we look at the heart as the emotional part of us, but in the Bible, it was what directed the person's life. That's why Proverbs 4.23 says, keep thy heart with all the diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. And so dad and mom is God's word at the control center of your heart. And to have God's word in our heart means we must have it in our life. We must make time for the Lord. We must make time for the Lord. I fear many parents have a thin spiritual life. And because they think they don't have time for the Word of God or prayer or studying in the Scriptures, and as a result, their children have thin spiritual lives or probably no spiritual life much existing at all. Most kids in our Christian culture today don't spend time reading, praying, and studying the Word of God, but if you were to ask their parents, they're not doing it either. It was John Ortberg who asked Dallas Willard, what was the one thing Willard could recommend that would bring a new energy to Ortberg's spiritual life? And Ortberg says that Willard's reply was both shocking and simple. Dallas Willard looked at him and said, you must ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life because hurry is the great enemy of our spiritual life in our world today. You need to understand this. Hurry and spiritual growth don't coexist. If you can't take time for God, you won't have time for his blessing. The greatest men of God, I have been so humbled, some of the books I've been reading lately, about some of the greatest men, the most busy men, who they would always take time, saturate themselves in the word of God, saturate themselves time alone with the Lord before they ever went into anything else in life. Parents, the most important part of your day is your time with the Lord. Do you spend time with Christ? What priority does God's word have in your life? If you love God with all of your heart, you will love the word with all of your heart. Scripture is what reveals God to us. And, and there's nothing better that we could give our kids than a parent that puts God first and loves him with all of their heart. And if your kids modeled your life, mom and dad, I would ask them, what would their life become? We can either give our kids what we think is best, or we can give them what God says is best. And there is nothing I can give my children more than to love God with all of my heart. There's nothing I could give my wife better than to have God number one in my life. And there's nothing I could give Lighthouse Baptist Church more than to fall in love with Jesus with all that I am. 
And you know, for me, not to love God most is to rob all of those relationships. We're taking from them. I would rob you, my spouse, and my children if I let anything come as a higher priority in my life. I could never be the husband, the father, and the pastor that God can allow me to be if I don't have his priorities first in my life. And so mom and dad, is he your priority? Is he your love? You say, I thought we were talking about passing our faith on to the next generation. And it starts with us. We are their teachers. We are the greatest influence in their life. All the studies show it. And if you want your children to turn out right, to become what God wants them to become, it starts with you becoming what you must become. This cannot be casual. This isn't like point one, let's get to point two. This is center of your purpose. Like why you exist is in this. Like the reason for your breathing is to know God and to love him supremely. And it's in that reality that will create the greatest impact upon everyone in your life. You can never do more than doing that. You'll never waste a day by loving God most. You never look back and say, you know what? Boy, I wish I didn't love God as much as I did. I sure wish I would have. I've never done a funeral. I've never sat beside somebody at a bedside and they said, you know, I wish I spent more time at work. I just wish I would have been a little bit more busy. I love the fast pace of my life where I just didn't have a lot of time for a lot of stuff. Nobody ever says that. Nobody ever says that they're so glad that the world defined their schedules. But I can tell you, people say, boy, I wish my kids were saved. Preacher, when you, get, when you preach my funeral, make sure you preach Christ. You preach the gospel. Because I wasted a lot of years and I sure wish I would have told them. And I can tell you through the thousands of tears that have fallen, the parents who just wish they could have gone back. Now, if you're here today and you got saved later in life, or maybe you got serious later in life and you didn't understand the weight of your responsibility, wherever you're at today, whether you have young kids or old, the greatest thing you can do for them is to love God with all of your heart, all of your soul, all of your mind, all of your strength. And you need to commit to that today. You need to get dead serious about these things. You need to be so serious about it that your goals are defined by it. Secondly, parents who become what is right will teach what is right. That's why verse 7 says, And thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children. Parents, when you become one who loves God with all of your heart, your priorities will turn from the temporal to the eternal. You'll begin to see things in the macro perspective instead of this little micro perspective of this world. To parallel, Deuteronomy 6 is Ephesians 6. Ephesians chapter 6 verse 4 is a passage dealing with the children's responsibility to their parents and the parents' responsibility to their children. In chapter 6 verse 4 it says, And ye fathers provoke not your children to wrath. Now let me say there's two things that children will get angry with their parents about typically that, that can cause that. Is Number one is the inconsistency of parents. You're up and down on these things. Secondly, it's being an unloving dictator that doesn't have a relationship with your children. You use the Bible as a disciplinary tool. Listen to me very close, mom and dad. And you will injure your children if you only bring this up when you discipline them. If the only time they hear about the Bible 
is a verse when they do something wrong, what do you think they're going to view this as? This, this is called reactive parenting versus proactive parenting. Our parenting must be based upon um, formative instruction. The majority of parenting needs to be done with the scripture on the front end versus trying to use it as a law to discipline on the back end. If that's all you do, you are damaging your child. I'll say it that strongly. Because they will, because you're not doing what the Bible commands. You're not, you're not teaching them when you sit down, you rise up, when you go to, you're, you're, you're disobeying all of that. And then you're using this primarily as a tool to get your way. Because if you really wanted God's way, you would have done it on the front end. So then I'm using this for me. And yeah, I just called you accountable in front of everybody, right? So if your children know this, they know this. I don't know how you're raising your kids. But I can tell you, the Word of God needs to be both in instruction and in discipline. Right? It needs to be both ends of the spectrum of raising children. So this is what he says. Don't provoke them. Don't provoke them. Uh, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. The word bring them up is the present imperative verb in the Greek. It means do this continually. Nurture means training, education, teaching, discipline. Uh, this is aiming them in the right direction. Uh, there's a great show years ago I watched. It was uh, uh, Arrows. Like Arrows, thank you. I figured somebody would know it. I don't write this stuff in my notes. So Like Arrows, if you've never watched that, write that on something and then go watch that movie. It's a great, great movie about this. But it's to aim them, like shooting arrows at the right direction, aiming them in the right direction. Nurture is aiming them. And then admonition means you train children through your words, encouraging them and teaching them, giving them that instruction. So we're to train, educate, and aim them, it says, in the ways of the Lord, of the Lord, at nurture and admonition of the Lord. Now notice the priority. Does God put more emphasis on raising our children uh, in the spiritual realm or the physical? Spiritual. spiritual, right? In our culture today, do we focus more on the physical or the spiritual? It's the physical. And let me give you three categories to consider in teaching. Three categories to consider in teaching. I, I, I've said this before over the years, but I, I need to repeat it. It is good to teach your children hobbies, to teach them to fish, to hunt, to play a sport. These are great ways to interact, to build memories, to do some life together in a fun way. Uh, that's, that's a good thing you can do, but it's something that even an atheist could do with their child. So, so, so it's good to do that. It's good to teach hobbies, but it's better to teach them practical things in life. Teach them to work. Uh, my, my dad used to take me out to the farm, me and my brothers, and we would work baling hay, cutting wood, mowing, weed eating. Uh, two parents that are the hardest working parents, uh, people, some of the hardest workers I've ever known, but they always took time for us as well. We learned to work growing up. We would call farmers and uh, listen, when I... When I got a vehicle, uh, my parents didn't pay for the vehicle or I wouldn't have appreciated it. So I had to pay for that and, and they helped me with some of it. But uh, dads, teach your sons how to change oil, batteries, brakes. If your son gets married and can shoot and throw a ball, but he doesn't know how to change a light bulb or to jump a vehicle, uh, that's not a good thing. No, no, I don't want my daughter marrying a boy. You know, right? That, 
teach them about finances, teach them to save up for a car, for car repairs, the danger of getting credit cards, how to budget their finances, teach them practical things around the home. Don't do everything for your kids. Uh, don't manage, don't, don't clean their room. Oh, I th- don't, don't clean your kid's room. Uh, take a picture of it and send it to all their friends. Uh, no, maybe not that. I don't know. Threaten them with that. That's a good threat. Uh, don't wake them up. I don't think in, 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 in all my kids' lives, me or my wife, I don't know that we've ever woke our kids up in the mornings. Uh, these kids today that can't get out of bed to go to work, uh, you did that to them. Don't do that to them. Amen. If you're a parent that does that, don't do that to them. Teach them to do the laundry and dishes. My parents failed at this, so I went to college. I was like, how do you clean this stuff? You know? <laughs> My mommy used to always do this. You know, I could, I could mow and weed eat and cut firewood, but I didn't know how to do my laundry. Uh, it's not good. Teach them to grill, to cook. Uh, while it's good to teach hobbies, it's better to do practical things in life. Those are, those are better. But let me say the best things you could teach them is the eternal truths of God. The most important thing you will ever pass on to your children are not hobbies you shared or basketball or kickball or soccer ball or it's not changing oil or doing laundry, but it's rather teaching them the eternal truths of God, salvation, the gospel, what the Bible says about heaven and hell and Jesus Christ. Also, parents, as you teach your children hobbies and practical things, realize it is in those places in life that you can impart spiritual truths. Life is the classroom. Deuteronomy 6, 7, notice what it says here. Thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children when you sit in a classroom. And is that what it says? It says, thou shalt talk of them when you sit in your house. That's, you're eating breakfast. You're eating dinner. You're eating second dinner. When, when you walk by the way, that's taking a walk. You're going through life. When you lie down. Talk to them about the Bible when they're young, especially, and they're putting them to bed. Read them a Bible story when you rise up. So it's, you, you see, it's a priority when you sit down, when you walk. It's a priority when you lie down, and it's a priority in the first thing when you rise up. What happens is when you love God with all of your heart, you know what happens? It just begins to be an organic life lesson. What is in your heart just comes out. I have a friend from Michigan I only hear from him. I've only heard from him about three times in the last 10 years. Y'all with me? Y'all, who knows what I'm talking about, right? We don't even have to go there. And uh, his name's Rich Frank, so you guys know who he is. He's be a deacon at our church, great guy. But he's up in Michigan, and he's had a lot of ankle problems and uh, possible future amputation. He's got a lot of things he's gone through. So we've talked to different surgeries and and uh, he said, you know, my ankle's feeling a lot better right now. It was about 4 o'clock yesterday. I said, I appreciate that. I'm glad at least one of us are benefited, you know. But <laughs> he's teaching me humility through the uh, process. But, you know, we, we, we teach our children throughout life. And, and when somebody loves a football team, you know what? Their kid usually lo- loves that team, right? My kids are Ohio State fans. They're not Michigan fans. <laughs> Just you know, there are some things that you need to pass on. That's a very practical, very practical. It's not the best, but it is very practical. Teach them, teach them, teach them to pray. The disciples learned to pray from Jesus. They said, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples. 
Dads and moms, do you pray with your children? Uh, pray with them. You, if you take them to school, pray with them on the way to school. I always asked my kids when I went to school, uh, taking them to school. Uh, my, my wife did most of the time, and whenever I did, I, I would always ask them, what did you get to read today? And You know, you have a memory verse, and we'd always quote verses on the way there. And, and sometimes they wouldn't have read that day, and I, I would never scold them for that. Say, well, make sure you make time for the Lord. Make sure you take time to pray. And I wouldn't get mad at them. And, and, and they told me, they said, that, that was one of the most helpful things when I knew you weren't going to get mad at us. Because they said, we never wanted to disappoint you. But when we, when we didn't live up to what you were expecting, you didn't get angry with us. You just encouraged us to do that. You know, that lets kids become honest with you. They have to be able to be honest with you. But if you're like, how dare you? What kind of kid are you? You just hammer them. Well, that, does that work anywhere in life? <laughs> it doesn't work with me either. Teach them to study. Teach them to study. What you promote, they will perform. Teach them to share their faith. Talk with them about their lost friends at school, their other people that they could invite, share the gospel with. I had a daughter who, who prayed for a girl to be saved for over a year. She would weep at times. All of my kids have wept in our, in our family time together. Uh, just for their friends to be saved, just just weeping at times. I mean, just broken to see their friends saved. And, and we saw many of those kids come to Christ. Teach them to endure through hardships, not to quit. And never let my kids quit anything. There was a science fair one of my daughters had to do, and uh, she she just hated this thing. She, it wasn't necessary that she would have to, she, she, could, she could still graduate with all these successes without having that. And I said, but I said, you committed to that, you need to finish it. And she ground, grind through that thing. She just let me know how much unenjoyable it was, but she did it. And uh, now I tell her, I said, aren't you glad you didn't quit? She's like, kind of, <laughs> kind of. It's hard for her, it's hard for her, but she'll get there. She'll get there. Teach them to respect authority. Uh, one of the best things I always told my kids when they come home, they said, you know, I have a, I have a tough teacher. Teacher's not treating me kindly. I said, you know, that's a really good thing God can give you sometimes. You need to just bring it back to the Word of God. And there's times your kids can get treated unfairly. Sure, injustice has happened, but this is called life, isn't it? Right? <laughs> Welcome to the W-O-R-L-D like, this is life. You're going to be treated unfairly at times at work. You're going to have a boss that doesn't treat you fair. And, I, and guess what? Uh, sometimes your spouse doesn't always treat you fair. And, but you know what? Mommy and daddy aren't going to run to the rescue every time. But I can, I can give you some biblical truths to, to lead you in those seasons. So first of all, say thank you, God, for the challenges of life because you give me things in life to grow me. Jesus, after he was baptized, went 40 days into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil, and the Holy Spirit was with him the whole way. God led him into the wilderness. And so teach your children, you know what, pray for your teacher. Maybe, maybe they're going through a difficulty. Why don't you just, when they become the worst that they could be, you become the best that you could be. You, you grow through that. Trust the Lord. Be humble. Be gracious. Teach them to respect one another. One thing I've talked to our kids about, I said, if there's ever a place that you need to feel safe and, and people that have your back, it needs to be inside of this home. This needs to be a place where they feel respected, loved, and safe. And I can tell you, having four girls, that's not always been the easiest thing. Right? Uh, they like to jab at each other. You know, growing up, we would beat each other up. I don't understand it. My girls never fight each other like that. This is just me. I don't know. This isn't even in the notes, but I'm always like, how do you put up with that? I would fight that 
Man, I would have beat my little brother up if he did that. And I'm holding all this in. I maybe shouldn't say this out loud. Maybe they'll start doing that. But they'll get like upset with one another. And I'm just like, you know, and they handle it so much better than I would have at that age. So thank you for being like that. But I would say this. uh, Dads, make sure that you teach your children to love and respect their mother. My dad would smack our mouth off, man. He would do more than that if he needed to. But we, we, if we got disrespectful to, to his wife, his bride, my dad would put us in our place. And he taught us to respect women, to, to not treat them in a belittling way. It, it, is, it is disgraceful to hear husbands run their wives down and speak of them in undertones that are, that are belittling of them. Uh, you're, 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 you're training your sons how they're going to treat their future daughters. And you need to hold that bride up in a respectful way. Uh, don't, let, don't let that home uh, push against your wife and, and wives the same way to your husband. Make honor. And I would say this. I, I often ask parents this. Uh, in, in Ephesians 6, it says, Children, obey your parents in the Lord. This is right. Honor your mother and father, which is the first commandment with promise that it may be well with you. And nowadays may be prolonged on the earth. And I ask parents this question, which is more important, obedience or honor from your children? Obedience or honor? And sometimes they're like, I don't know, is obedience? And they, they, they're, like, they're waiting, they're waiting. Uh, so, so the answer is this, you could have your child's obedience without their honor, but you cannot have their honor without their obedience. What does that look like in practice? Listen to me, probably one of the most important things you can implement in your life if you tell your child to go do a chore or do some responsibility you gave them and they go off and do it and they have a terrible attitude but the job got done, that is a failure. You do not let them go do that with that kind of a spirit. You say, oh, come on back over here. I've done that. I've done this many times. I say, hey, you know, go do that. Oh, dad, why do I have to, you know, and oh, come on back. Come on back. <laughs> so sit on down have a little conversation here. It ain't going to work like that. It ain't going to work like that, you know. And, and we have, we, my, my wife won't put up with it either. It, that, that insubordinate, disrespectful attitude. Because if you can get the honor, you can get the obedience. You have to deal with that. It, it amazes me sometimes how disrespectful kids can be to their parents. And the parents just like laugh it off or ignore it. You're creating... I don't want to be too strong, but, but that creates a monster for whoever marries them in the future. I always felt like I don't want my children, I never would want some guy to marry my daughter if I didn't feel my daughter was ready. Like, I'm like, I, listen, I, I've, had, I've had people I've counseled before. I remember one dad said about his daughter, he's like, boy, I feel bad for whoever marries her. <laughs> I want to do that. Let me give you a third thing today. Parents must be diligent in teaching right things. We must be diligent. Um, I'm just going to quickly go through some of these things. So much to give, so little time. Uh, God's truth can be taught it, it, taught three ways. So if, if, if spiritual truths are the what of teaching, diligence is the how of teaching. Deuteronomy 6, 7 says, and thou shalt teach them diligently. And there's three ways to do this. First is organically. When you have become the man or woman God has called you to become parents, it will just flow into your family. Uh, As God's word flows into you, it will flow out of you into them. They see you study the scriptures. Have your kids ever caught you reading the Bible? Have they ever seen you studying scripture, memorizing scripture? Have they ever shared that with you? Secondly, orally, teach them truth 
the, the truth of Scripture. Talk about what they've been reading. Share Bible stories with them. Uh, the hear journals that we do at church are the, listen to me, the best things that you can do for your kids. I, I don't, I don't, I'm going to push this a, a lot over the next couple months because uh, in, in the month of February, uh, we're going to be launching our Sunday nights from 5 to 6.30. We'll come in here. We'll have an opening song. We'll have about a five to eight minute one point thought that we want to get across for the night. And then we're breaking up in groups all through the sanctuary, all around the entire church. And it's in those small group settings that you will be able to grow in ways that you won't grow if you don't have accountability. I promise you that. You, and, and here journals are just a journaling way of going through the Bible. And we'll be going through the New Testament. You'll take uh, three journal entries a week, and everybody's going to be kind of on the same schedule of what they would like to read for that group. And in the New Testament's where we'll try to encourage everybody to start off in the, in, in the year. And we'll launch these in February uh, as re-engage is going on through January. Then we'll launch these in February. But the book will be pretty thick, about 150 pages, but it'll have a place where you can write down um, sermon notes for all of our sermons. It'll have a place where you can do three journal entries a week. There's a place in it for a prayer journal. It's going to be a nice book that we've put together uh, for the people here at church. And, uh, and, and, and by doing that with our kids over these years has been the greatest impact on their life. I've never seen anything because when we sit down like we did last night and on Saturday nights, uh, I don't come and do a devotion with them. Uh, they come and bring to me what God taught them that week in the Word of God. It's one thing to tell your kids what the Bible means. It's another thing for them to tell you what it means. And if you don't have time to do that with your kids, I can tell you, the world will win. It, not just that, but other things. But if, 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 you don't in, if you don't take time for that, I can tell you the world is very intentional. And, and as parents, if there's ever a day that you become extremely intentional about something, it's got to be today. I'm telling you, 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 you want to get to the time you're 70 years old, look back and say, thank God I did that. Thank God I invested in my children. Thank God I poured the truth into them. So orally, and, and these are ways you can do that. Third, not only by organic teaching, oral teaching, but also by others. Have godly influences in your kids' lives. Get them around the environment of the church. Kids' classes are so essential for young people, youth ministries, mentors at church. When I was a young person, to go into a youth ministry, to be around other kids, to have a youth pastor that I could learn some things... Kids here that are going to Awanas that are learning hundreds of verses. My kids learned so much of the Bible from things I didn't even teach them. They would come home and tell me things that they're learning from these. It's just incredible. Listen, don't like make sure your kids are plugged into even the toddler class, the kids' classes, because they learn in those environments in a very powerful way. Please do not keep your kids from those classes. You're not doing them a blessing. You're not. Get them plugged in really encourage you to do that. The reason so many parents are losing their children to the world through the years is because the world's much more intentional, very focused. You know, it's on average uh, about $12 billion a year is spent in America on advertising to youth. Some countries won't allow you to advertise to youth. In America, they allow that. And you know, to, to teach kids we, we have to slow down enough to do that. Listen to what Deuteronomy 6 verse 8 says. It says, thou shalt bind them for a sign upon thine hand, write them as a frontlets between thine eyes, write them upon the post of thy house and on thy gates, 
uh, they, they would take, uh, the Jews would take what they call phylacteries. They would take little pieces of paper, write down the scripture on it, put them on little boxes and begin to hang them. They took this literal, they begin to hang them from their face or their hair and also from their, their uh, clothing. And then they take what's called mezuzahs they, on the side of the house. If you've ever been uh, to a Jewish resident or in Israel, they have those in all of the homes. And they rub that, and it's just, just a reminder of the Scripture. Put Scripture up around your house. But the idea here is that the Word of God would be everywhere, that you're teaching all the time, and the Scripture and truth is around you all the time. And, and, and as I said, teaching takes time. You have to slow down and be a parent. Think about Mary and Martha. Martha was so busy that she just could not sit at Jesus' feet where Mary stopped. And Jesus says, Mary has chosen the good part that will not be taken from her. Listen, you cannot be a good parent in a microwavable fashion. Anything that's worth doing takes time to do well. Slow down and be a good parent. Spend time with your kids. And then lastly, and I'll wrap it up, is be consistent. Don't quit. To be, to be able to pass this on to the next generation, you don't get fired up and do this for a month and then you're done because the world doesn't stop. You got to be consistent. That's why he says in verse 10 through 12, he says, when God has blessed you, brought you into the good land and prospered you, you know what we like to do? We tend to forget. Verse 12, then beware lest thou forget. The biggest danger was that when God blesses people, they forget him. You ever find that to be true in, in, in your life? I mean, that happened to Israel. That has happened in America. But you know, sometimes people get all fired up for God. God blesses them and they're like, yeah, things are going pretty good. And they begin to miss the word of God. They begin to miss church. And then they're, and, and it's not until their life falls off of a cliff that they come back. Listen, be consistent. Don't quit. Many parents do good for a time, then they fall off. Do good for a time, fall off. Our family did that. It made our family so inconsistent growing up, it created a disaster. But it wasn't until we got grounded in a solid Bible preaching church, it just revolutionized our family. Parents got serious with God. We got serious with God. It's incredibly powerful. You say, but pastor, if I, what if I mess up? What if I mess up? Well, you, let me say this. You will. Okay? And your kids know that you're not perfect. And when you fail, fail falling forward. Get up and keep pressing on. Not only do our kids need to learn from what we do right, but they need to learn from how we respond when we mess up. They need to see what does mom and dad do when they're not perfect, when they have challenges. I had a daughter this last week. She said, you know, dad, it was so helpful for me to see that when you had both good days and you had hard days. She said, I always thought you were perfect and you just never had any struggles of any kind. But then, but then as I saw you had a stressful day here, or a difficult day there, she said, that was so helpful for me to see that you were human and that, you know, dad has hard days too and, and he loves God. And, and if he can do that through the hard times, then I can as well. And listen, they need to see that. Uh, my, uh, listen, there's been times I've had to sit down and tell my, one of my children or, uh, you know, I'm sorry for the way I dealt with that. You know, I overreacted. I was upset. I got in the flesh. I didn't handle that in a patient and gracious way. There's times I've had to apologize. They need to hear that from us. If we expect them to apologize when they're wrong, what do, they, what do we need to do? Amen? And so just understand that. And, and, and just know you're the biggest role in their life. There was a study done with over 10,000 teenagers to, to see what moved a kid from just a casual belief in Christ to a I'll die for you commitment in Jesus Christ. 
in a study of 10,000 teenagers, it found that a youth pastor was 13%, friends were 13%, a tragedy was 14%, but more than any other influence in their life, in all other influences combined, did not match the influence of the parents, 58.5% said that what moved them from a fringe commitment to Christ to an I'll die for you commitment was their parents. I can tell you, mom and dad, what you fall in love with will become what they often will fall in love with. And what you don't fall in love with will probably not be what they don't. They're going to follow your steps. We need more fathers like Joshua who said, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. You know, God said of Abraham, he says, I know him that he will command his children and his household after him. And they will keep the way of the Lord to do justice and judgment. This morning, we come to the end of our focus on the family. And friends, I pray that Deuteronomy 6 will be found in our homes, that we will be hearers, followers, and doers of these truths, that we will love God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. We will place God's word in our heart, diligently teaching our children that we will be consistent, that we will not quit. In a world that's falling apart, we need parents that are put together. And at the end of your life, at the end of your life, what are going to be the wins for you? What are going to be the wins for you? What's the vision for your family? And as you look at your children, I encourage you parents, build a cathedral. Let's all stand this morning. Father, we thank you for your word today. And Lord, as we come to this invitation time, perhaps there's a mom or a dad that needs to come and take some time in prayer to lift up their children, to lift up themselves. Maybe some children to come and pray for their families. God, I pray that you would do a work in our life that would outlast this morning, that would come into homes and revolutionize. Lord, if we're ever going to reach the next generation with the gospel, it's going to start with us investing time in our children. God, raise up fathers, raise up mothers that love you with all of their heart, soul, mind, and strength. Free us from the plastic accessories and loves of this world. May we set our affections on what is eternal and not on what's temporary. Thank you for the godly parents in this room. Thank you for the wonderful moms and dads who love you and love their children and are doing it right. May you continue to multiply that effect. cannot afford to be casual about this. There's too much on the line. May our priorities be set by heaven and not earth. And may our hearts be owned by Christ. If anyone today doesn't know you as their Lord and Savior, Father, today, may it be the day that they come to know Jesus. We ask it in your name. Amen. 